Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we get into the final week of our preseason top 10 countdown, heading into the Division One college tennis season. Of course, Happy New Year to all of you listeners. With the new year comes the ever-approaching start of the college tennis season. And of course, over the past month here at Cracked Rackets, we've tried our best to prepare all of you listeners for the start of that season. We've counted down teams 10 through 3 in our preseason men's and women's Division 1 top 10 polls. If you missed any of those episodes, you can find them here on the Great Shot podcast feed. All you have to do is scroll down. Of course, last week we had a national championship prediction on both the men's and women's side. So if you missed those episodes, do be sure to go check them out. With that said, here here on this week's show, so we get into our top two Division One men's and women's teams. And if we're going to be breaking down a topic so exciting, you know I'm going to have some help on this show along the way. Thankfully, the man joining me once again today has joined me on each and every one of our preseason women's top 10 countdown episodes thus far and will continue to join us throughout the course of the 2023 college tennis season. Of course, you also may know him from his own shows. He does the No Ad No Problem podcast, of course, writes it as a blog as well. And coming to us fresh from Hawaii is our dear friend and returning champion, John J. Parsons. Jay, happy new year. I said it to you before. I'll say it again. The best decision we made in 2022 at Crack Rackets was finding a way to incorporate you in our college tennis content. That said, we turn the page to 2023. You are now a second year veteran on this show. You excited for another year of fun? my friend i'm extremely excited wow already a veteran i still feel like the new kid on the block but <laughs> no 2022 was a, a big year for me a big year um you know doing a podcast instagram blog all of that stuff really kind of uh, humming so i'm excited for an even bigger 2023 more stuff with cracked rackets you know con- continuing the top 10 breakdown and kind of doing our weekly shows on the women's side. I think there's going to be so much to talk about each and every week, so I'm really looking forward to it. We should have probably done this bit on the t- number three show, but I didn't think of it until this very moment. You know how they do the Time Magazine Person of the Year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, you're yes, familiar. Yes, it's not yes. exactly a novel concept. Yeah. Um, we should have done our College Tennis Person of the Year. And I was thinking, the reason I bring this up is if I was to make a short list in 2022, I'm not saying you'd win it, but I do think from a media perspective, you would have probably been number one on the list because you were the new kid on the block. And it's not as though you didn't have the opportunity to further 
ingratiate yourself into college tennis communities. I know I speak for a lot of coaches around the country when I say they may not always be happy with you, but they certainly appreciate your love, your uh, passion, and the attention you shine on our sport. Who's your 2022 college tennis person of the year? I have three nominees, but I'll let you go first. Well, I, that went in a very different direction than I was expecting. I think it's a two-person race. Um, I would actually give the nod to Peyton Stearns okay. um, with the NCAA singles and team title. She gets that nod over Ben Shelton, who, of course, wins the NCAA singles title but does not help his team to a team championship this year. Yes, what he did on the Pro Tour is far and away surpasses what Peyton has done to date. But, you know, I think you can make a case for either one of those. I'm not sure that there's any other person in the conversation. Well, you're certainly making Texas fans happy. Uh, and they were already listening to this show. They see their team at number two, which, by the way, for back-to-back defending champions, they might think to themselves, how have we not earned the preseason number one status? We'll get into that, of course, later on today's episode. You mentioned two people who are certainly on the short list, right? But Ben Shelton has done not only individually throughout the course of the college tennis uh, of his college tennis season in 2022, but the light he's kind of shined on it with his pro success as well, sort of validating it as an immediate pathway to the pros has to be on the short list. I agree. I think of all the women's players in the country, Peyton's the player you put forward because I don't want to say she took Texas from obscurity. That's not a fair description of Texas women's tennis who have historically had success. Uh, Certainly much of it compared to 99.3% of Division I college tennis programs. You know, that said, they are now a bluest of the blue bloods. And so much of that has to do with the efforts of Peyton these past two years and her popping the way she did last year, becoming the gal in women's college tennis. That was everything. That's what allowed this team that was very young to start. We'll get into all that. Uh, But the point is, yes, Peyton Stearns, very good call by you. I have not to keep showering love on her, and let's just do this at the start of a Texas program to really get things going. Audra's got to be on the list, right? Like, if you're making a top five, she's on the ballot. What happened at Oklahoma last year was just a delight, and it's very much a reflection of all things Audra Cohen. So she'd probably be a nominee. I'm trying to think of who, like, the sneaky ones are on the men's side. Like, who is someone who quietly – there's – oh, by the way, JT at Chicago finally getting that men's title. That Chicago program had been on the cusp of so many things, and people who follow D3 tennis know there's a stigma attached to Chicago tennis. Great players go there to get really smart at school, and that school can wear you down. We've seen it uh, happen in Division One programs, certainly as well. Um, and they get a national championship, beat a really good case team. Todd's probably got to be on that list. I would go Audra, but Peyton's a very good a very good nominee. Yeah, I mean, it's probably apples to apples, apples to oranges, right? You're probably choosing like one player. I'd throw on, if we're rounding out this top five, you probably put on Danielle Collins making the sure. Australian Open final and Cam Norrie just with his, you know, continued success is cementing himself Rajivan as Joe number one in the Rajivan world as well. Joe, yeah there was a lot of pro success from collegians this year more than years past so Good all nominees. of those yeah nominees get um get added in 
Good additions by you, Jay. I like that. That's a, Again, and by the way, you know where to find us on Twitter should you have any nominees that we've forgotten. It's Monday, January 2nd when we're recording. Obviously, this will come out Tuesday, January 3rd. We're still in the window where, A, it's appropriate to say Happy New Year to someone because we're still in the first three days. B, I think it's appropriate to still relitigate 2022 at least until the start of the 2023 season. With that in mind, of course, again, we want to talk about number two, Texas. But we got to talk about the big news. And this big news broke last week. Now, some of you may have realized Jay and I recorded those podcasts in advance as I was with my family for a wedding. Jay was in Hawaii with his family winding down. And we'll get to Jay's Hawaii exploits, folks. I promise that'll be part of this opening tangent as well. But it's time to talk about some big news that's going to impact the 2023 season. That, of course, is the news that Selma Ewing is coming back to college tennis. Of course, Ewing was a standout during her time at USC All-American player uh, throughout the course of her tenure. She is coming back for her fifth year. It will not be with the USC Trojans. It will be with the team that we had ranked number 11 in our preseason rankings, a team who, if you go back and listen to the first podcast we did and talking about our honorable mentions, we said, very good, but they might be a player short. And that team is, of course, the Texas A&M Aggies. And this is an Aggies team. What's the new bit? We're bringing into 2023. You play the 2022 NCAA tournament 10 times. I swear to God, the Aggies are walking away with, I think, a title, maybe multiple. Last year's team, exceptional, runs through the gauntlet of the SEC, loses two matches. 4-3, University of California, round of 16 at the National Indoors, 4-3, NCAA quarterfinals to Oklahoma. Uh, this is a team that also brings back a lot of pieces from last year in Carson Brandstein, in JC Goldsmith, in one of the superstars, certainly, of the fall in rising sophomore Mary Stoyana. Now, there are other pieces coming in, superstar freshman you alluded to as well. But, Jay, you bring Selma Ewing onto this team. I think they unequivocally, if we knew this beforehand, are in our top 10. Where do you see this team now, big picture, as we head towards the season? And talk to me about the impact of adding a piece as exceptional as Selma Ewing. Yeah, well, first off, I mean, I was shocked by this news. It felt like, you know, the New York Times pitch bot account on Twitter <laughs> where it's like mad libs of like what's happening. And it was like twofold really, because it was one, I was shocked that she was coming back, right? Uh, I want to clarify, she was not on the roster at USC, right? She had graduated. A lot of people wrote me with questions around, oh, like she leaving USC, didn't she play in the fall? That's not the case. She was not at USC. Uh, so I was surprised that she decided to come back to college. That was first. And then second, was like, of all places, she's going to College Station, uh, you know, California native. So I was totally shocked by this. Uh, but then the more that I thought about it, it, it starts to make a little bit more sense, right? She was in the portal, um, you know, prior to to this, clearly. But even, even prior to this, like a year ago, she was in the portal. There were rumors that she was going to go to another school. Uh, before her senior year at USC, she obviously didn't. I kind of thought that that was kind of the nail on that transfer coffin. It clearly was not. Uh, she did play with Carson Branstein for a year at USC. So there is that connection now to Texas A&M. And Texas A&M had space. Um, they did have, you know, an open scholarship. And this was something that, 
is not unusual, right? We've talked about Pepperdine still has six players on their roster. Virginia only has seven scholarship players right now. It's not unusual, but you just don't know how to factor that into the equation when you start thinking about how good a team will be because you don't know if those roster spots are even going to fill up. They could fill up with someone who's not necessarily an impact player, so you never know. So overall, I was shocked. It it does feel like peak transfer slash COVID era to have a California native go to College Station for five months, you know, to to try and win the title. You know, it's like it is peak what we've talked about with like chaos. But look, uh, you know, we already got some, you know, some heat for not including Texas A&M in our top 10 rankings. This is a game changer for Texas A&M. And it means that they are going to be in the national title conversation. I mean, you look at the top five now of Branstine, Stoyana, Mia Kupris, Salma Ewing, JC Goldsmith. One of those players is playing five. And for me, I would put them at about number five right now with the addition of Ewing. Wow. I mean, see, this is why we should have left a quarterfinal spot open for just the news that was going to come in December. That's on me for not preparing us. And this is something we've now learned going into 2024 is keep something. What is that? Uh, for us, it, it, for us in my culture, you leave a seat open for Elijah, which is, I think, the hypothetical ghost that comes in in the mm-hmm. religion and sits down and makes sure you're observing all the Jewish things and sorry Elijah if I've disappointed you over the years my friend I just haven't seen a lot of you um, but yeah like this is why you do that because in this era you're absolutely right and we mentioned it on every show and shout out to us we hit the under we're going to mention it here at the 12:30 mark here on today's show this is absolutely peak this era of college tennis where they're just these fifth-year floaters around and you're never quite sure when someone's college career is finished. And look, no one will replace what Tatiana Makarova did last season. She did not lose a match at the number two singles position until losing two... Yeah, I was going to say... Yeah, I, I was yeah, getting yeah, there, yeah. Jay. You were getting there, yeah. Yeah, and so the point is until she did lose. Um, but for the majority of the season, she was undefeated at that spot. And obviously, her and Goldsmith formed a number one doubles duo that was unequivocally one of the top 10 doubles duos in the country. And again, you're never going to replace that, especially because she had spent her whole career in College Station. And there was some institutional know-how, not just from how to operate College Station, but the team, the chemistry, you know, the fact that they had all made pushes with one another before. As good as Mia Kupras is, though, in theory, we know how good Selma Ewing is in college tennis. We've seen it for four years. This is an all-American player you are adding who, to your point, if you just throw her into the Makarova spot, and not that I'm going to say she's going to replicate exactly what Makarova did last season, but she can probably give you 85% at least of Makarova at that number two singles position. And like, if you get 85% of what you got from her last year, uh, that spot last year, you're still going to be a, what they were a two loss team last year. Maybe they turned to a four or five loss team. If it's 85% of that, like this team's top five has depth. And it's crazy to me that Goldsmith is going to move down perhaps in the lineup again after like what does JC Goldsmith have to do to prove she's a top three talent it's you know we know it uh, college station fans know it coach Weaver knows it that's why to your point whomever five is on this team MVP conversation yep. moving forward 
And the thing is now, because this is a big roster, right? And it, maybe it's Morales, maybe it's Pilot, maybe it's one of the other freshmen or whomever it may be. You're still going to play around with that number six spot. But when you're only playing around with one spot of your roster and you know one through five, whatever the order may be, maybe you go, you go with the platoon system just so everyone's happy. Like with the fall Stoyana had as well, quarterfinals of both the All-American and Fall Nats, just to remind all of our listeners, you've got – no disrespect to Goldsmith here. I would say four legitimate number one singles options in your lineup to start the season – and again, one of them is going to be playing three, one of them is going to be playing four, and then someone's playing five. And the healthy version of this team, five feels about right. Yeah, I mean, that that's where I would have them. I mean, think, you know, Ewing, Stoyana, Kupris, right? Any, Branson, right? Any of them playing those top four positions. We haven't seen Kupris yet, so it's tough to mm-hmm. put too much expectation on her. I think what this does for me as I evaluate Texas A&M is before I had them a little lower just because I didn't fully trust five and six to have Morales and Pilat or whether it was um, Smetnik- Smetnikov, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correct, slot in there. Here, now you have three players, right, positioning themselves for the number six single spot that you talked about. That's a big difference, right? It also means that they're going to have a lot of options for a lot of matches, going to be able to keep players healthy. I think this is a really, really great addition for Texas A&M. I would just like to point out if we slot them at five or six, and honestly, Oklahoma is who we have at five now. With the experience both bring back, it's not a terrible comp to make between those two teams. There are similarities in the discussion you can have. Again, we can get into that perhaps. No need to unpack that. You you listeners can just let that slide. But like this would push Duke down to nine, which to me is just like <laughs> hilarious as a thought exercise to say out loud. But yeah, I the where we'll finish here. Tier one is a is a cloudy place right now. There's no definitive definition, I think, for the tiers until we really see these teams rocking and rolling. But we've talked about inside the national championship conversation or bubble. This team is firmly ensconced in that bubble now, correct? Yes. No ifs, ands, or buts. I completely agree with you there. So again, folks, we said we were going to get a December surprise. The news came out in December. Now we're talking about it here in January, but shout out to Coach Weaver. Shout out to this Texas A&M program who last year, again, this was an exceptional group, and I think they're going to have the opportunity to be exceptional once again. With that said, before we get to Texas, time to quickly recap what's happened over the past week in John Parsons' life, and that involved two things. One, a trip to Hawaii with his family. Have to hear some details from that, JB. Some gripes I know you may have, maybe with the podcast, maybe with Nicholas Gruskin's performance in the Michigan show, maybe, uh, I don't know, a range of different things we have discussed. So I want to give you the the open here, Jay. We get some thoughts off your mind. Well, I will say, let the record reflect, I was willing to come on the pod to discuss the Ewing news. Uh, I was turned down <laughs> by Gruskin himself, who was too busy. So I will let the re- record reflect that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, so I was in Hawaii this past week. We pre-recorded the podcast. You know, now I am back. It is bittersweet. You know what would have made my Hawaii trip much better? Oh, no. Coaching interview pods. Oh, I just have to say, I just have to say it's been an annual tradition of mine to listen on the beach to the coaches interviews to buy my airplane time with these coaches interviews 
to which I have gotten one many, many weeks ago. Where are the coaches' interviews? It's a great, it's a great question. I'm glad you are holding my feet to the fire here. I got a little lazy. I won't lie, listeners, and I apologize to all of you for that fact. Now, did I? Did, I don't want to say deserve because that's a strong word. Does anyone deserve anything in life? No. Did I thoroughly enjoy? My time with my family. See, now I'm just trying to guilt you into guilting myself. Did I enjoy to step away from the microphone for a hot second? I didn't hate it. Um, obviously, I really wanted to crank out some preview content for ATP WTA because I thought our mini breaks were lacking in the month of November. And I look back at our mini break catalog from the month of December, and I feel pretty darn good about what we did. That said, you're absolutely right. And my thinking was... No, no fold. I didn't text anyone. I got lazy. That's just it. Now, again, it's it. Uh, here's what I'll say. National Indoors is around the corner. I want to do something bigger for that than we've done in the past. And it gets a little tricky when you double up. You know, again, I, and I here's just an example I'm going to throw out. I don't know how much left David Rodini and I have to discuss because like he's come. I, I know everything about Coach Rodini and he is always the best interview. But it's like if I'm going to have him on, I want to give him 30 minutes of good topics. And I think the move, Jay, is in lieu of that, doing a kickoff weekend press row where we're just going to have all the all the teams that win on kickoff weekend and advance to the national indoors. And we try and go 32 wide before the start of national indoors. Well, that's more ambitious, Yo, so you better not I, be feeling lazy then. No, this is why I took the two weeks, because I've got some big plans in <laughs> 2023. You're rearing up to go. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So is that, would that be an acceptable compromise? Yeah, it's just, you know, uh, what, what a lost opportunity uh. for me <laughs> to have content while I was on the beach. But uh, yeah, I mean, I look forward to that. I do think if you keep them, you know, the 30 minutes mark, ask them the new, the new topics that exactly. I think have arisen in college tennis, I think that will suffice. Uh, I'm happy to lend a hand if need be. All right, let's shift gears. Okay. This is what I need. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm exposed. It is good to have you back, my friend. Oh, I missed you. I am a voter in okay. our men's and women's polls. Sure. I did not know that we were going to be so hyperbolic on the men's pods over the course of these past few weeks. Elaborate, please. The Michigan pod. We'll start there. <laughs> so first off, Nicholas Gruskin joins the show. 10 out of 10 performance. I thought he did a great job. I thought his comp to Michigan-Ohio State football to tennis, excellent. That was a very, very well done uh, analogy. I'm going to tell you a few things here, Gruskin, that I think you need to hear. Good. You were extremely too hyped on Michigan, that entire pod, and, and Chris really let us down here. Look at how difficult it has been for Ohio State men to get over the line. Nine quarterfinals, four semifinals, two finals, zero NCAA titles. Michigan makes its first NCAA quarterfinal <laughs> in over 30 years and we're declaring them the champion. I'm sorry, and they can use this for bulletin board material. There is no way that Michigan goes this season, the bulk of their matches indoors, the bulk of their hard matches in February, and then they basically just play three Ohio State matches for the rest of the season, turn it around, go to Orlando, 90-degree heat, love bugs, three straight matches, and win the title. It is not happening this year. This is absolutely Michigan's year. I think they will have their best year ever. They are not winning that title in Orlando. 
So, let the record show, I did not predict them to win the title. I did not. Chris Halioris did. Nicholas Gruskin, whole purpose of him coming on the show was to make that prediction. Um, let the record also show, and I think I said this, I might have said it to him on the pod, but to your point about his football analogy, as soon as the show was done, I would all older brothers do their younger brothers, put them in a headlock, and I was like, that was really good. I was like, Nick, way to go, um, because I agree with you. Excellent analogy. You're correct. A very good point. Like, Show me for any northern team, not just Michigan, but any primarily indoor team, how difficult that transition is to make outside. Do it on the yeah. men's or the women's side. Like, You look at the women's winners of late. When was the last time a cold-weather school – or primary indoor school won the women's national title? Is it Duke? Like, is that the answer? Because they play a lot of their – like, that's the closest thing you can come to it, and North Carolina is not exactly considered a northern state. Um, right. I, I think that's a very good point, and that would be my reservation as well. Now, to your reservation as well, now to your point, um, I like you said it there. If it's ever going to happen, you feel like this is the year. For that Michigan yeah. team, which to its credit in the past few seasons has played better. You know, the whole has been better than the sum of the parts. They have the parts. And I think you texted a funny quote. They have a coach who's won a national championship. I don't know if I said that, Nick said that, or Chris said that. No one said that. That's my quote. Okay. So yeah. an added J point, there you go. And it's just this Michigan culture, they know it. They have always been a team that excels and plays together. And as we know, with talent being equal, sometimes it really is the team that loves each other the most that takes the title. That would be the crystallization, folks, a two-minute version of the 103-minute podcast that was the Michigan preview. Yeah, and this this podcast is probably going to be equally as long, and we're going to spend the majority of it talking about this other stuff. But yeah, I mean, so that was my feedback on the Michigan stuff. I thought Tennessee was really, really high as well. Texas, I thought— Well, we also didn't have the Hunter news, which, by the way, we talked about on the Michigan show, I believe, or if we haven't talked about it yet. No, it might have been late-breaking. Yeah, I, I don't think you were able to talk about it. I mean, that's that's breaking news, right? Yeah, and that's um, all right. I'm making a note, by the way, to talk about that with Chris tomorrow. So, all right, I'll on. send you my thoughts then. Yeah, well, no, no, no. This I want to hear them now. That's what I was saying. But I, I that was a good reminder for me to ask him, please. Yeah, I mean, I, look. So Tennessee loses. We're all over the place. Tennessee loses. <laughs> uh, Kent Hunter. You know what was concerning about this news and and if you haven't looked at it kent hunter wrote um a very long and i thought very you know part nice parting words to the sport of tennis as he moves on to to his next chapter but it, it, it's kind of strange i mean tennessee lost lewis cloud last season as a freshman in the fall after he was on campus they have now lost two of those transfers that they brought in this season in um, Broncatelli, who's moved on to Georgia Tech, now Kent Hunter has left. You know, it, it all but solidifies to me that uh, Johannes Monday is back. Uh, he was in Coach Woodruff's birthday picture. So I, I think he is back. But it, it's sort of a, a concerning and weird trend. It make trend, it makes you wonder like what's what's happening in the fall here to be losing these these players. Um but it, it, that that's that hurts for this Tennessee team. Yeah, I think much like you could say about any school, and I, I don't. This is not meant as a criticism. I want to make that abundantly clear. The Tennessee culture is not for everyone. Like there is an intensity 
that comes for playing for the volunteers. You have to be willing to sell body, mind, soul for that program. And by the way, that's why these past two years they have reached the NCAA semifinals in back-to-back years. They reached the national indoor finals last year. This is a team that tries to get the most, you know, a coaching staff that tries to get the most out of every player on the roster. That's a massive commitment. And there's an intensity they play with, obviously, in terms of the energy as well. I just don't think it's for everyone. And again, that's not a criticism. We started this podcast talking about it's the transfer portal era. We have learned in this era, perhaps more than any other era in college tennis history, there are options out there. And as a player, you owe it to yourself to explore that options in order to try and find the best version of yourself. That said, you're right. Like, something's up because it's now... It's just happened a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's happened a couple of times. You don't see this happening in other programs the way it's happening here. So um, that was interesting. The only other thing is, you know, this can be our transition to the topic at hand, which is the Texas Longhorns. (laughs) (laughs) The um, Texas men. Texas. Yes, the Texas men. The (laughs) enthusiastic. taking i'll say of the top four texas men over virginia's top four who all return from last year's national championship run felt a little blasphemous uh (laughs) particularly just given the injury concerns that we've seen on the texas men i mean there is almost zero chance that all four of those players are fully healthy right so it's like a a hypothetical not based in reality whatsoever you know (laughs) i don't know i'm curious to see what y'all do on the virginia pod because i thought that there's um uh, some disrespect headed the headed the who's way well let's just say this we have two teams left in our top two i think most people can predict who those teams are i'll tell you this if you can guess who one of them is you can guess who the other one is And one of those two teams, if you've been listening, are my national champions. And so that, my friends, is what we call a tease. And yeah, that's why it's always best to forget the takes you tell the podcast before, because then you can come in with fresh takes and not feel like you're being hypocritical. And with that said, it might be hypocritical for us to do a strong 29 minutes before we get into our number two team in our preseason rankings. But folks, first great shot podcast of the new year. Come on. You got to let Jay and I celebrate. We haven't had a good 29-minute opening tangent in a while jay so that felt good yeah the closest one was the the stanford pod when i (laughs) took you took you to task on college tennis on tv that was the one i I refer people to yeah first of all take me to task is what you do on each and every show so it might be hard (laughs) to find them i'm glad that you appreciate or that you mentioned stanford as the one where that happened in particular yes uh, that one sticks out yeah (laughs) okay good i'm glad to hear well with that said you know what else stuck out the number two texas longhorns during their 2022 national championship winning campaign with that in mind let's talk about the longhorn season now and look When you end as national champions, of course, you exceed expectations of anyone because it's really – you're lying to yourself if you say you expect to end the year as the national champions. Look at every great team we've seen over the course of college tennis history. The second you have those sort of expectations, you are just setting yourself up to be disappointed. That said, Jay, when I look back 
at this Texas women's tennis roster. Now, of course, they had the talent to compete and win a national championship last year. We talked about that in our preseason pod with all the talented young freshmen they brought in with the returning nucleus of Stearns and Collins and Shavatapan and so much more that they brought back as well. You knew this team had a lot of pieces, but... I was fortunate enough to be there, and on the call, of course, you were following it very closely from home to watch where this Texas team came from the national indoors when they weren't bad, but they were a mess at the 2022 national indoors. To see that team go from whatever happened at the indoors to beating Virginia 4-2, beating North Carolina 4-2, and then just playing the best match we saw from any team in the country throughout the course, in my opinion, of the entire 2022 season, which was their 4-1 win over Oklahoma in the NCAA championship, a team that obviously they had played three times prior, were 1-2 and two against going into the match. It's just peaking at the right moment. And it's a testament, obviously, to the job that was done by both Howard and Taylor last season. And look, will this team miss Taylor Fogelman, who, of course, is now the head coach for the LSU women? No no denying that. But, like, we got to do one more tangent here as it relates to tennis, uh, as it relates to Texas. Because, Jay, we've talked about before how few back-to-back champions there have been in Division One women's college tennis history. Of course, we've seen uh, Stanford do it. They are the gold standard, of course, in just about every women's tennis stat you look for. We've seen, I believe the other one was Florida is the yep. other team I'm missing who did it as well. Florida going back to back with their titles 2011-2012. That's it. Those are the only teams who have won back-to-back titles. And by the way, you look for this Texas program now. They have four total team national championships. That's third most, trailing just Stanford with 20, Florida with seven. I mean, you just don't see two-year runs like we saw from the Texas Longhorns. To what do you credit that ability for them to do it again last season? Well, I think you know last season was interesting. As you mentioned, they— were not at that level of indoors. It extended beyond indoors, right? They lost to NC State. They lost to Stanford. Uh, after indoors, at one point, they lost three of their last four matches. Mm-hmm. And it appeared that moving Kylie Collins and Charlotte Shavathman up to two and three was going to be biting off more than they could chew and that they didn't have the pieces to fill in the Anna Tarati and Lulu Sun role right in their new freshman and after those losses they go 19 and one after that but that only loss coming to oklahoma in norman uh in a match that they had several match points in so you know i I think you credit it to talent right we saw that immediately from that 2021 run of just this that class of freshmen at the time last year's sophomores just incredibly talented right they bring in um you know some superstar freshmen in Zainalova and Zamaripa both of whom you know are playing their best tennis come may but ultimately i think you know you have to give a lot of credit to the coaching staff to make sure that this team is ready to go in may and what was so interesting to me about that Texas team this past years, I don't think they were as strong as they were in 2021. This team had multiple holes in its lineup that they didn't have in 2021, right? And they really had a 
very clear path to victory. It was doubles, one, three, and five. And the off chance they didn't get one of those points, whether they lose doubles to Auburn or Peyton Stearns loses to Emma Navarro, Charlotte Shavathpon comes up with the win. That was their recipe. And so they had a very clear vision for how they were going to win these matches. And ultimately, that week in Champaign, they were the team to execute, and I feel like really thread the needle um, match over match. Yeah, and again, why you have to give a shout out to Taylor and Howard is because probably not in that order. But, you know, again, why you have to give a shout out to both of them is we know how injured they were in the fall. Coach Joffe came on this podcast, talked about it in the buildup to those NCAA quarterfinals. And to see this team come as far as they did, to see all the pieces end up clicking in doubles the way they did by the end of the season— it's a testament to, again, this team continuing to believe in themselves. And then I don't want to disrespect Kylie or Charlotte and, you know, obviously were crucial parts of both of these championships. But one of the reasons this team got that much better last season unequivocally is because Peyton Stearns became one of the definitive players uh, of college tennis. And again, like what a two-year run. Like put it – it's not Mount Rushmore worthy – but because, you know, there's some really good Stanford players who did a lot of crazy things, and we'll get into that when we talk about how many teams have three-peated in college tennis history. But, like, it's up there with the best of the best. It's certainly in, the I think, the short list. If I were to say 21st century college tennis runs, top 10, unequivocally, maybe even in that top five of players who have had the degree of success she did and done for a program, what she was capable of doing. I mean, again, you look for Stearns last year, 24-2 overall at the number one singles spot. And, you know, that Navarro match was the strangest thing I've ever seen. And you have to – there was so much more going on in that match than just that moment because that was the rivalry everyone wanted to see. And Peyton had a bad day. But guess what? She didn't lose the rest of her time in Champaign. And the moment Navarro was out of the NCAA singles draw, she was the unequivocal favorite. She won the damn event. Like, what a run for Peyton Stearns. Absolutely exceptional. Uh, Again, there's no doubt this team got, they exceeded expectations. They clicked. Again, just the third back-to-back champions in Division I women's college tennis history. You join any list with Stanford and Florida, things are going right with your program. And certainly they're going right in Austin. That said, as we look at 2023, Jay, I mean, this team loses their top two and loses more than that as well. But we just talked about that institutional knowledge. You know, Collins, Stearns, were part of every big match played in Texas women's tennis over the course of the past two years. And anytime you lose your top two, it's just a different level going from top, you know, top two of the lineup. And honestly, in this era of college tennis, one and two are as close in level at most schools as they will probably ever be, certainly at the top of the game. Um, You can't fake that. That said, of the returns they bring back, do you expect you know who fills the gap there? Who do you is there still enough left in the tank that core wise? And we'll get to the new additions. You like what this Texas team brings back? Well, I don't know if that's a fair framing of it. Okay, good. Uh, Correct. I, me. I don't. This is why well, you set me straight once again. It happens every show. I just don't know if any of the returners need to step into the number one position. Um, you know, I think they bring back, you know, this team, it's almost reminds me of like an 18 wheel truck, you know, where it's like they come in 2021 and it was just really from indoors onward, right? They were 
an excellent team. And then the 2022 season hits and we like lose a few wheels almost. And like, we're still able to get over the finish line and look, we lose more wheels coming into 2023. You know, you mentioned their top two. I would also add losing Fogelman right there. Associate head coach there. That's a big deal. Losing the Zamaripa sisters who Allura was most outstanding player there uh, in the NCAA tournament at number five singles. Both of them factored into doubles. They lose a big chunk of this team. When I look at the returners, I think there are two in particular that will play higher up in the lineup that I think are going to be relied upon. And that's um, Sabina Zainalova and Charlotte Shabathapan. Yeah. I, I, and I want to get into that momentarily. Mm-hmm. I do want to point out a couple of things. One, they did promote internally for their coaching position. Justin Butch, who was the volunteer last season, has been around this group. He is now the assistant coach for this Texas team. And again, having had the chance to chat with him, having had the chance to see him on court, you know, he was very much on the Peyton Stearns court. He was very much uh, coaching across the board. I think he's going to be excellent at this job. I think he gets the passion. I think he understands how to get these players to believe in themselves on court, which is everything you look for, I think. And I love Howard. This is not meant to be a slight at you. You know what's also really nice? To have a 24-year-old, 25-year-old who is not that far removed from playing college tennis, who can just relate very, very much with what you are going through on court. And that's exactly what Justin is as well. And by the way, Howard Joffe, some scholars have argued you could have worse head coaches to learn from, right? That's not the worst teacher, not the worst coaching tree uh, to be a part of. Look at Mark Weaver and what he's now doing at Texas A&M. Obviously, Taylor going to LSU now as well. I think Justin's going to be another in the line of the successful Howard Joffe coaching tree. Uh, That said... You're right. And just again, from a perspective of who who has played in this lineup that has returned, you mentioned Shavatapan. That's where we'll start. You look for Charlotte last year was one of the most up and down season, you know, players we saw from a significant uh, team during the course of 2023. It was more down and up. Right. In the fact that she she started very poorly and then uh, the upswing started. Well, that's exactly it. And this is how many matches did Shavatapan lose in 2021? I want to say she lost like two dual matches or something crazy. I'm pulling it up now. Charlotte Shavatapan went 25 and one in dual match play, 21 and one overall. It was the the indoors match to Scotty. Yeah, where she was up a set in 4-2. And obviously we know what happened from there. Still, by the way. I got asked this again. What's the best match I've ever seen? And I always say 2021 National Indoors, UNC, Texas, 1.30 a.m. You had to be there to believe it. Um, anyways, Shavatapan last season after going 20, what did I say, 21-1 and one at the number four singles position, 25-1 and one overall. You know, she started out a little higher in the lineup, and she went and combined three and five in her matches at the number two and three singles position. That said, by the end of the season, she was back at four, and she finished the year 14 and four overall at that spot. And you mentioned for Shavatapan the fact that she was able to come through uh, for the Longhorns in some particularly uh, important moments at the end of the season, the big win over Virginia after Stearns had been knocked out, the most prominent of them all. I mean, she's... uh, the thing is, if you would have asked me after freshman year, come 2023, will Charlotte Shavatapan be an unequivocal top three singles player for a really good Division One tennis team? I would have said absolutely. She's 5'11", the weapon she has, her ability to move around the court fluidly at that side, the fact that when she was in rhythm, there were just times when players at the number four position did not have the ability to keep pace with her. 
And yet last season was tough. And so I, you know, again, if the answer is she's somewhere in between who she was as a freshman and who she was as a sophomore, that's an exceptional number four singles player. It sounds like you don't think she needs to be much more than that. Not that she can't be, but that she doesn't need to be much more than that for this Texas team this year. Well, they'll take it if she is. Um, But yeah, I mean, I would have even gone further. I would have said uh, when I saw Shavathapan play in Orlando in 2021, I say she could win the NCAA singles champion. She was so good at Orlando. In her four years. She was so good. And that, and then that was it was really a rough February for her. Yeah. After that, things started to turn back around. So you hope that that's still the trajectory that she's on. And that was really the mini sophomore slump, if you will. I think she probably still factors into that three, four spot, right? She probably wants to get back up two, three and prove that she can be a top of the lineup sort of player after kind of having a bad start in 2022. So, um, look, I think this team still needs to expect big things from Shavathapan, uh, and she's certainly capable of that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, the other one who got a ton of matches, particularly by the end of the season, was Uvrutsky, who goes 12-7 and overall on the season. She played primarily through the three through six singles spots. Again, it's good depth to bring back. Like, certainly there, we saw Malika Rapalu back in uh, the 2021 season play a lot at the number six single spot for this Texas team. And you look at the stats that year, she went 19-2 and overall, 15-2 and at six. Now, again... Two years later, does that feel replicable if she's in that number six single spot? Maybe. That said, there's you know there's not a blue chip returner, and because it's it's worth mentioning, Collins does go, of course, with Taylor to LSU, and then of course the big announcement: you had both of the Zemaripa sisters turning pro, and in particular, Alura Zemaripa won her last five dual matches consecutively, finishes eleven and two overall, five and one at five, six and one at six. You mentioned it was very much a part of the match calculus for this team to get to four points each time. It's just, again, it's fascinating to talk about. You bring back two-time national championship winning team, the top end, and, you know, shout out to, I feel like you still got to talk about the Taratis, who are a big part of getting this Texas program to where they are now as well. All that era of top three talent has filtered through, and yet we have them at number two in our preseason rankings, Jay. And one has to perhaps figure out from here that the reason for that is the new additions, right? You think this team has brought in the blue chip talents that they need? Well, a few things, Uh, you know, just looking at the power six, right, of this Texas team, uh, UTR 64.65, that's tied, or where do you think it is, actually? I'm going to say like fourth. It's tied for fifth with Stanford. Sure. Uh, where do you think Rapalu is one through eight on that list? Three. She's number two. Yeah. She had a good fall. She had a good fall. And look, they have zero players above 11.0 UTR and, you know, just that's shocking, shocking. Right. And to rehash that, that 11 is sort of the inflection point where you say like, this is an elite women's college tennis player. We've talked about teams like Pepperdine USC who have three in their top three. Texas has none. Right. Um, But they go eight deep at almost 10.5 plus. Right. So all the way down. So they have incredible depth. They have a lot of pieces. The key thing will be, you know, where do those pieces fit in? But look, this team will not have the NCAA singles champion 
in 2023, right? They will not replicate the Peyton Stern success at number one. The key to this team's success is going to be depth. I think one returner that we haven't talked about is the highest of the returners, right? The person who played number three for them last season, which was Sabina Zainalova. She's now a sophomore. And what a, you know, remarkable freshman career arc she had, right? She hurts herself at the U.S. Open Juniors. So she was out the entire fall. Really tough to know how good she was. She plays 29 total matches. She finishes 24 of them going 23 and one. She lost only six sets, right? In her entire spring, three of those come to Shanta from Oklahoma. Just a remarkable you know, campaign for her. If you're just looking at the returners, she's the one that would play likely highest among all of these returners. So there's two ways I could spin this. One, I could try and lie and say I was setting you up for that the entire show to set me correct and say, no, Alex, there is the blue chip. Don't forget about Zainalova. Or B, I could be honest and say I got lost in the Zs. A lot of Zs on the end of that roster uh, last season. B is the truth. A is more fun. You're absolutely right. Like, that's the blue chip that they bring back. And Zainalova, of course, went 16-1 and at the number three singles position last year. As a freshman, like, yeah. that's what – you know, that's what you expected for. You have someone. So here's what I'm saying. You have someone who went 21 and one or 23 and one, whatever it was at the number four position as a freshman in Charlotte Shavatapan. She's now a junior. You have someone in Rapalu, second highest UTR on the team. She has proven she can go 15 and one at six. You know, she comes back as well. And then you have a Zainalova who's 16 and one at the number three spot. Like, again, you have three players who have proven they can be elite at a single position and have put together one-loss seasons uh, in dual match play with a significant sample size of matches at some point in their college careers. Then you bring in the development of the new Vrutsky. And if you've watched Texas women's tennis, all of these players over the last few years have continued to progress and get better during their college tennis time. Except for the Taratis, who may have actually just been that good always. Like, they just found different ways to be good in different seasons. So, yeah, they did continue to get better. I don't know. It's just like there was always a Tarati aspect to watching the Taratis play. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Maybe it does uh, to you, Jay. Um, anyways, the point is this is a very fun core, and you add in the fact that they have won back-to-back national championships. This is a team that played 13 doubles pairings in dual match play last year and yet won the doubles points in the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals of the NCAA tournament, which we know how valuable that became. Like, Yeah, it's a group you bet on. Yeah, and look, none of those returners have ever lost in the NCAA national That's championship. Very true. Right? They've only known uh, to win. Uh, and I think one further note on Zainalova, I think I'd be re- remiss not to talk about how exceptional her season was in the context in which she had her season, right? She's from Ukraine. She's a freshman. To have that level of success while dealing with such you know, turmoil back home is incredibly impressive. You know, tennis is the most global sport in the NCAA. And so we often have these sort of reflections of geopolitical situations, you know, right now with Russia's war on Ukraine. And so there are a few other players like Pisareva at Oklahoma who come to mind who have had to deal with this while here in the States. You know, I think it's just remarkable what she's been able to do. I'll also add that she has been open uh, about her eating disorder struggles last season and her recovery uh, journey over the last few months. So 
I think incredible hats off to Zayn and what she was able to accomplish last season. I think she's going to be a huge asset for them uh, in the coming years. Very well said. And again, you said it perfectly. This group has never lost in the NCAA tournament, just something you can't fake from an experienced perspective. That said, again, you talk about the pieces this team has brought, whether it be via the transfer portal, whether it be finding freshmen and recruiting to find players like Uvrutsky, Zemaripas, Zainalovas, Stearns, Colin Shavatapan. Clearly, something is working right now from a recruiting perspective at Texas. And by the way, it makes sense that the two Texas teams are good. Like, Texas is one of, is a blue-chip athletic program. And to see them having the success that they are on the men's and women's side— like I, I sometimes I worry I'm a little bit of a slappy for the big schools because I know big name brand schools, but like te- it, it's good for college tennis that a school like Texas is very good at college tennis, in my opinion. And if you'd like to comment on that, Jay, you are more than welcome to. I bring that up in the context of it's all clicking from a recruiting perspective. Players want to come play in Austin right now. Talk to me the new pieces they brought in this year. Yeah, well, the one piece I would add is it was it was just unusual that Texas wasn't a consistent presence, right, yeah. at the top of college tennis. Both the men's and women's had been in years and decades past. So to have both these programs um, humming the way that they are right now, it does make a lot of sense to warm weather school with the resources. Um, you know, not a lot to not like about going and playing your tennis at Texas. Look, I mean, they have found you know, the two ways to bring in players, either via freshman or via the transfer portal. It's like, where do you want to start? Maybe we'll start with the freshman. No, let's start with who we know. Okay. So they bring in two known quantities in in transfers. The first is Marley Zian, who's a graduate transfer uh, who played four years at the University of Florida. She is originally from the Houston area. So she is coming back home here. Uh, She played number four in singles her first two years at Florida, moved up to two and three these last two years. She batted about 500 ball, the two and three position uh, at Florida, but ultimately joins a still relatively young Texas team and is the most experienced player on this roster now in having played four full years of college tennis. Um, she's also one of the few players on this Texas roster who played a very full collegiate fall. She went 10 and 5 this fall in collegiate play, made the finals of the Texas ITA regional, went 2 and 2 uh, at fall nationals there. Um, so she's a, an experienced player. She's played at the University of Florida. She's also played number one doubles for the University of Florida as well, which will be a big asset. So um, this was a, a big get for Texas and adds, uh, you know, experience and depth to this team. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge add. And again, to play an SEC schedule, to have seen uh, just about every level of tennis while at Florida. And look, was it the best? Has it been the best four years for Florida relative to some of their other four-year runs? No, but again, she has played in a lot of big matches. against a lot of high-level competition And you're probably not asking her to play in the number one or two single spots this season. Now, to have that doubles experience as well with how young the roster is, that actually might be the single most valuable component uh, to this addition to the team. And just, it's a really good place to start. And the fact that she might not even be the best player they added in the portal just adds to the riches, does it not, Jay? Yeah, it does. But she's, I would say, the more known 
quantity right now just in terms of Ooh, okay where i disagree oh sorry go ahead go ahead well I- i'm not saying she's like uh, so the other addition that we're talking about yeah. is um taya patchkaleva taya patchkaleva uh transfer from pepperdine who man talk about a career arc so far just I in know. her two years that's what i was gonna say texas fans might actually remember her more oh. obviously because fill in yes. the blank j here yeah, because she played the iconic national championship final against Lulu Sun at the number three singles position in 2021. Lulu Sun ultimately won that match, as Texas fans will know. But you'll remember her opponent in that high, high quality match was Taya Pachkaleva of Pepperdine, who now, you know, if you can't beat him, join him, joins <laughs> this Texas Longhorns team. But that was the culmination of what was an incredible freshman campaign for Pachkaleva at Pepperdine. She was 26-2 and two her freshman year. Um, and last season was, you know, we talked about this a little bit with Shavath Pan and Rapalu. She had her own sophomore slump, right? After going 26-2, and two, she goes 11-6 and six in dual matches last year. At one point, she had lost five matches in a row. Again, very similar to Shavath Pan. But she started playing a lot better down the home stretch of Pepperdine's season and starting to move her way back up into the lineup before she ultimately, I believe, tore her ACL in the NCAA quarterfinal match against North Carolina in doubles. And the reason I said that uh, Zian is a more known commodity is we've seen her been playing week in, week out. We haven't seen Pachkaleva since you know she fell injured in that NCAA quarterfinal match. You do your research. We're sure it's Zian. Not I, Zane. I think it, I've heard it Zane. That's Google. you've heard it from me as Zane. Oh, okay. No, I, that's Google? why. That's why oh, okay. I bring it up. Because usually you don't do things like that unless you know for sure. We <laughs> differ, Marley. You know where to find us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we apologize again if we've butchered this. Um, very good point. It's hard to argue, and again, if, if Pachkaleva was fully healthy, you're right. Maybe it is a completely different conversation, but for her to come off the significant knee injury that she suffered at the NCAA tournament last year, so we're only seven months removed from it, that's a quick ask of a turnaround for an injury that's significant from any sort of athlete. I mean, again, though, those are two pieces you add to the known players and players who you trust in Zainalovo, Uvrutsky, Shavatapan, and um, and Rapalu. So there's six, but you mentioned eight names, Jay. Talk to me about the other two as well. Yeah, and this is a squad that goes eight deep, right? Um, which some programs don't. Uh, so And I mean, that's first, its biggest strength the team's biggest strength, by the way, right? Absolutely. Right. I mean, to have eight players at around a 10-5 UTR and above. I mean, you're looking at most schools getting down into at, at the even the elite teams getting down to five and six at a 10-4, 10-3. So um, you know, that is their biggest strength for sure. The two uh, freshman additions here starts with uh Nicole Kieran, uh 21-year-old from Israel. Uh she reached a WTA career high of 419 uh just this past August. And prior to joining Texas, she was, you know, playing on the pro tour. You know, her best results in 2022 were a couple semifinals at 25Ks. She qualified for a 60K. And then this fall, she doesn't play any collegiate events, which again is a, a through line for this Texas squad. Really did not play much college competition at all. Uh, she makes, you know, another 25K 
uh, semifinal at the one hosted by the University of Texas, where she ultimately loses to Peyton Stearns, which felt like a very much of a passing of the torch moment, although Peyton held on to the the, the symbolic torch. Um, <laughs> so she looks, you know, she looks primed to play in the top of this Texas lineup. She is certainly the marquee recruit um, of of the two. Yeah, I. So again, this gets back to the point, and I I, I concede Zainalova is one. Are either of these two tier one in your opinion talents? The sort of blue chip talents that can rep- you know again because. Stearns and Tarati were a really freaking good top two that freshman year, or that 2021 year, excuse me. And for what Stearns may have lacked in some big match experience at one, Tarati lost very few matches at that number two spot, and you felt like if nothing else, the rest of the team would have four hours because that's how long it would be to take to beat either Bianca or Ana Tarati. Um, then last season, even with Collins's struggles at that number two spot. When she, Collins was good last year, she could be as good as any number two singles player in the country. But even during her struggles, you knew one half of the equation in Peyton Stearns, 24-2 overall on the season. She was a rock at that number one spot. Do either of these freshmen help solidify a gap to where maybe it's not the number one spot or the two, but maybe it's the two spot where you say like, okay, that's where we've got it? Because typically... That's what a national championship team needs, right? It doesn't have to necessarily be the number one, but you're usually a lock in one of your top two. Yeah, and just to give a little bit more color about the other incoming freshman, also named sure. Nicole, Nicole Rivkin, sure. uh, 19-year-old from Germany. Uh, she was about a top 50 junior in the world, um, WTA high of 748. You know, prior to Texas playing you know, 15Ks and 25Ks, her biggest results were really winning two first round events at 100Ks that she received wild cards to in Germany. Again, no fall collegiate events from her, just played the 25Ks in the US. Of the two, Kieran is certainly the one that you're looking to, to play one or or two, right? And by all accounts, I think that that is the expectation and it is certainly what they will need to have another successful run is for her to click at those top uh, positions. I don't think that that's going to be the expectation of Nicole Rifkin, uh, who I think will factor into more of a, a bottom lineup position. Interesting. So then the bet for your mind, as we get to the projected lineup now, we've talked about all of these players. And again, depth being the strength for this team, certainly you feel like we'll get multiple iterations of lineups throughout the early portions of the calendars. We try to figure out who plays where, but early on, Jay, how do you th- see things shaking out for the top six? So, for instance, you mentioned Rapalu is number two in UTR. That would be a surprise to me if we see her play that high in the lineup to start the year. But maybe I'm wrong. What are you thinking? Well, I'm glad you said that there might be a few variations because I have a few variations of this. Uh, I have my like likely, uh, you know, see what we might see in January, February. But I think both versions of this lineup have Nicole Kieran at number one. Okay. And I think that that's going to be the ask of the freshman, how well she holds that position. We will find out. Um, But this is not going to be the first time that Texas has started a freshman at number one. Uh, So we will see how that goes. I think in the more immediate, you know, future, I think you have Zaynalova at two. I think you then have 
uh, Marley Zane and Charlotte Shavathapan at three and four. And then you have Nicole Rivkin and Malika Rapalu at five and six. Yeah. It sounds good. I mean, I agree. I would probably go Zayna Lova at one to start and then maybe Kieran at two because I think Zayna Lova's earned that right going 24 and one at that number three spot. You're the returner unless Kieran is that exceptional. Maybe she is. Um, certainly has the pedigree. I probably flip those two to start the year. Shavatapan's my three. I go Rapalu four, Uvrutsky five, and ugh. I mean, no, 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 Zian. I don't know, man. Five, it's it's really hard. Four through six, like flip a coin on the right day. Who's ever playing best? You know, yeah. whoever has the gaudiest stats will get challenged to that number four spot. You feel like come the NCAA tournament. So ultimately, the results will dictate. But that four through six tier feels pretty solid. Yeah, I think it does. The best version of this team, though, I do think has Kieran at one. I agree. It means that she has clicked and and she is um, ready for that position. I think it has Pachkaleva at two. I think fully healthy, fully healthy, returned the level of tennis that she exhibited towards the end of her freshman uh, campaign. Certainly show show that she can do that you have zainalova at three shavathapan at four look that's a recipe you just took to the national championship i don't know why you wouldn't repeat with that again sure exactly and then you basically have four players there in marley zane malika rapalu nicole rivkin and vivian avrutsky to play at five and six i would probably lean you know marley zane at five and then if Rivkin is playing really well, we she, she could is. go six. Exactly. And Rapalu's on the bench by the end of the year. That's the best version of this team, though, right? Wow. Like that's how that's how good and deep this team can be. Yeah, I mean, certainly, absolutely. And again, if we've seen anything from the Texas freshmen, plural. Throughout yep. the course of the past two years, it's the progression we have seen from January to May. So that may not – you may see a heavier uh, Malika Rapalu usage in the lineup early in the season. But you're absolutely right to think big picture. I mean, again, freshman clicking means they are that good and they'll have to earn their playing time with how many veteran options Coach Joffe has. It's a tough pick. I mean, again – I think all of these options also probably lead to the team's biggest weakness and their biggest concerns, which would be the fact that you really don't know who's the playing where to start the season. There is no definitive – I mean, there might be mini tiers, but the gap between one and eight in this lineup might be as small of a delta as you see in any lineup that we've listed throughout you know, the course of our top 10 so far here as we prepare for 2023. And, you know, again – even to like as good as uh, Zainalova was last year, it's not even a Selma Ewing to go like full circle where we know Selma Ewing's been an All-American. She's played in a top two singles position before. We haven't seen that from any player on this Texas roster. I think that's a concern. I think, again, a lot of darts at the dartboard. Going to try a lot of iterations. We probably won't know what the best version of this team is until May, and we'll get to why, what the schedule leads to, what opportunities they'll have to try and figure that out. The last thing I'd say is, and again, it sticks with the theme, what are their doubles pairings going to be? Your yeah. guess is as good as ours, folks, because nothing from the fall would indicate – like. 
I think Marley's going to be in the lineup, whose yep. last name I no longer feel comfortable saying, so we're just going to call her Marley. I think Uvrutsky's going to be in the doubles lineup. I think Zainalova, Zainalova certainly will be there. Shavatapan with the weapon, she as yeah. probably as well, but like maybe not. Maybe again, I think Uvrutsky's got really good feel, moves the ball well around the court. I don't hate that. How many returns she puts in play in doubles and just like. I don't know, man. There's just a lot of questions for this team to answer for a third consecutive season. And that's the last part I just want to get to there quickly. Stanford, only team in college tennis history that has won three consecutive national championships. Now, they did it twice, 04, 05, 06, as well as when they won six straight from, what was it, 86 to 91. Um, By the way, those 86 to 91 teams, like, I mean, just... Patty Fendick and just Debbie Graham and Sandra Birch. And you start to look through like all the things that they did. By the way, shout out to 1988 UCLA doubles champion Stella Sampras, now coach, obviously, for the UCLA women. It was a different era. It was a different time. And you're just like, I feel like the tennis gods have really smiled on Texas these last two years. And every so often they like to smack you in the face and, like, isn't this the year where you say maybe this team's a year away or two years away? Like, let these freshmen get experienced and figure things out. I think that's a very plausible scenario for this team this year. Yeah, or it's not two years away and it's two years in the in the rear view, right? Sure. And you look at, like, the comp of, like, a Florida who did their back-to-back 11-12 to and then didn't win another title until 2017, right? So, um Look, I think the questions that you raised are completely valid. They lose four of their six doubles players from the national championship match. Uh, replacing that will be tough, and doubles was one of their recipes to success. I have two other open questions for Please. this team. The first is health, and I feel like this is a little bit of a cop-out for a lot of these teams, <laughs> but I think there are very valid reasons for this. Right? We mentioned Patch Kaleva. We have not seen her since injury. Zaina Loba was also injured this fall. She was not able to play as much as she would have liked. Uvrutsky, I believe, also had an injury to her wrist that may or may not be keeping her out for an extended period of time. Those are huge factors, right? Uh, because while they do have the depth and probably can overcome some of those injuries, you just if you're not going to have the elite weapons at number one or number two, like this team won't have, you need everyone to be healthy to be able to maximize that depth so you can rotate play different players at it at certain times at certain matches so that's my first you know question outside the ones you've already listed and then the last one is just kind of team chemistry right yeah. and who's the leader on this team going into 2023 i don't know who that is um and it's a little bit of a hodgepodge crew right now so we'll have to see kind of who emerges there. You had kind of a tight-knit group of players that, you know, uh, you have to rebuild. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's Collins, Stearns. You know, again, they've lost Lulu Sun, who was all part of that superstar freshman class that, you're right, yep. took the 2021 season by storm. And yep. now it's new personalities, new chemistry. And it's not that Jay is questioning that there's not players capable of leadership on the roster, but maybe this is the year we see who steps up. And again, like calling this Texas team a year away, that's not an insult. They're really young and really talented. And typically, that teams like that take... 18 months to gel like the Texas teams of the past two years have been the exception. They have not been, they're not the rule. And 
that gets back to the point again. Maybe everything broke perfectly for these freshmen the past two years with some of the extraordinarily experienced teams we have at the top of college tennis this year who are just so hungry and so desperate and will have Texas as a number one target on their list in a way Texas maybe hasn't been even last year given just their struggles at the national indoors. Uh, it's fascinating to see. And look, this gets us to the schedule. This Texas team is going to have opportunities to flex their guns, right? Outside of the national indoors, where at kickoff weekend, we expect them to advance. Although Baylor, Loyola Marymount, who's not quite the team they were last year, but ranked number 30th, at least as of the kickoff draft, Fresno State coming to town, we would expect Texas to get through that. Outside of that, you see the three matches at least they would get at the National Indoors. They've also got USC, who's got to come to Austin. They've got Stanford, second half of a home-and-home we saw last year. They've got to come to Austin. Very tough Big 12 schedule, of course, where We talked all last year how sneaky deep the Big 12 was, not just Oklahoma at the top, but teams like Iowa State and the aforementioned Baylor, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State obviously has been a top perennial 15-16 team over the course of the last decade. And then the really fun one, April 10th at NC State, Raleigh, North Carolina, prior to the Big 12 championships, prior to NCAAs. It's a strong schedule. To your Michigan point earlier in this podcast, it's a well-distributed schedule. This team's going to be test in every month of the season, Jay. Lots of opportunities for lumps on the chin. Lots of opportunities for this young team to get experience as well. Yeah, I, I disagree. Actually, yeah, I don't think it's as difficult as you're making it out to be. I actually think it's pretty light, and it's particularly light before indoors, right? They really just have three matches um kickoff weekend and USC before indoors you look at their schedule compared to a UNC Texas is playing four matches UNC is playing seven and so it it's a little light before indoors I would have liked to see a little bit more meat on the bone there I have to imagine that the reason they are several matches short compared to some of these other teams is because of all of the dates that they used up in the fall going to pro events um you know, I think they'll have to hope that the Big 12 is, in fact, uh, continues to be strong. We know teams like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State will be strong, but they have to hope that middle of the pack stays in that sort of like 16 through 30 range. Um, they're fortunate to get USC and Stanford at home. They get the Oklahomas at home as well. But they're the national champion, but not in scheduling. Mm-hmm. I mean... The pro, the pro dates is a good point. And why has Texas been able to lure some of the talent that they have? Because they do keep those dates open to allow yep. their players to go experiment on the pro tour. I mean, listen to this stretch. National indoors February 10th to the 13th. Then you've got Stanford at home on the 25th. Oklahoma, that Oklahoma weekend, they get them both in Austin. Oklahoma on the 10th. Oklahoma State on the 12th. That's a really tough weekend of tennis. You're right. They need the Big 12 to sustain the depth we saw from last season. That's always tough to carry over year to year, but it's a young team too. Like, I don't mind the idea of spacing things out. I don't mind the idea of, hey, we played that Oklahoma weekend. Let's relax for a hot second. What did we learn from that weekend? Let's take some time to experiment with this new doubles team. Let's take some time to try and figure out, okay, maybe you should fit better at five. Maybe your weapons fit better at four, whatever it may be. I don't hate it. Again, I 
this gets so let's just get to the predictions. It's go time, Jay. I have this team as a quarterfinalist at the NCAA tournament. We can just get right to the big one before we get to the minute details because we've been beating around the bush for this the entire time. I'm just sick of making this point continuously. I think this is the year where the youth and the turnover rate of this University of Texas team, I don't want to say they have to pay the piper because I still think they're going to make the freaking quarterfinals. Like I think this team is extraordinarily deep. I think this team is going to be very good come May. I do worry about, you know, that you mentioned the lightness perhaps of that early schedule. Maybe they get hurt in the seeding. Maybe they're a six seed, a seven seed, an eight seed instead of the unequivocal top four that we think they are now given the talent they possess. And then it's a younger team, like as good as, you know, some of the freshmen may be if, if it's Kieran at one. OK, she's got to play, you know, Lane Sleeth at the number one spot of Oklahoma in the NCAA tournament. She's got to deal with that intensity or she's got to play whoever's playing one for Pepperdine, we'll say in that moment at the NCAA tournament. Maybe she comes up against a Chloe Beck of Duke and just like I've seen Chloe Beck eat people alive who have never seen her game style before. They're going to be young in the blue chip positions, players who haven't experienced top two NCAA pressure. They're very deep. Everyone's very deep. Like I just, again, and we don't know that much about their doubles right now. And they ran the table in doubles last season. I just, I don't think for a third year in a row. And by the way, the the sneaky thing about that 2021 season, other side of the draw, UNC, Pepperdine, and UCLA. We said it was a four-team tournament going into the NCAA tournament. Those three in Texas. Texas avoided all of them until the NCAA finals. I'm not saying they got lucky because they have to be that good to beat Pepperdine. You all saw Sun versus Pachkaleva. Third set, 4-3. Like, my question is, what happens if Pepperdine didn't have to play UCLA, UNC, those first, you know, those two rounds prior? And then, you know, again, last year, the struggle that was the national indoors to see everything click the way that it did it's really hard to replicate that a third straight season only Stanford's done it that's why I have them quarterfinals that's my pick to you Jay I defer now your predictions yeah I think that's like the not so secret like sexy spicy take right to say that this is the year Texas takes a step back because all signs point to that Right. I mean, they've lost Peyton Stearns. They've lost Kylie Collins. They've lost the Zamaripa sisters. They've lost their associate head Lulu coach. Sun as well, who's not who could be there, but isn't right now. Like there's a lot exactly. of karate there's gone. A lot, lot of, of turnover, gone. a lot of turnover. And to use my like 18 wheeler analogy, right, they're <laughs> down to like six wheels. And you're like, I don't know if this is going to work. But, you know, I think. As I look at this team, they also won't have the elite talent at one and two, right? You're not going to be favored against these other teams. And last year, I look at that team and I'm like, wow, I feel like they really threaded the needle. Doubles, one, three, five. And they were had holes at two, four, and six in a lot of ways. Ultimately, for me, this team makes it to the NCAA semifinal because I think with so many pieces – You know, Howie's done a great job these past few years getting this team ready for May, right? I think he totally undersold them going into that Orlando 2021 year. I think he had the recipe to win that title this past May with eight players, again, assuming full health. I think it is he's very capable of architecting a lineup 
that will go deep in this tournament. And this is as much a bet on him and the pedigree that they have built, right? And the belief that they will win, right? We talked about this in the Stanford pod, right? Of these teams who build this sort of sense of, um, you know, unbeatableness. Uh, and that's seeked, soaked into what this Texas team is, right? That no one on this team who's returning has ever lost. So for me, I think they fall in the semifinals. I do think they get bested by a team with, you know, just bigger weapons at the top of the lineup. But I think they find a way to win that that first quarterfinal match. Look, we've said this a million times. So we'll, I suppose, end this podcast where we started. The depth in women's college tennis this year is unprecedented. The strength of, I made the joke, Duke as a hypothetical number nine after the Texas A&M Selma Ewing edition. You know, like, one. there's a chance Brianna Schwetz, who was a top 15 player at the number one single spot in Princeton two years ago, is playing four singles or five singles for that team come the NCAA tournament. Everyone's really good. Everyone's really experienced. Everyone's going to have options. And this really does feel like a year where the team that loves each other the most might ultimately actually win the title. It's the first year. Like, you said a step back. It's only a step back. And I know you meant it like this. I'm not trying to criticize your words, but just to frame it for Texas fans. It's only a step back because the last two years you won the national championship. And the only place you can go from national championship is either repetition of that or step back. I still think this group, the two-year forecast, the four-year forecast, the 10-year forecast for the program, you want to be Texas as much as you want to be any program in the country right now. And again, Howard and Justin have proven that they can get a team to play their best tennis come May, the past two years. I just like the experience with talent being equal. I just like the experience of other teams more. And I don't think this team has an excess of talent compared to other teams as they may have certainly had in 2021, where I think in 2021, Texas was unequivocally, them and North Carolina were on paper. Honestly, no, all four teams, them, North Carolina, Pepperdine, UCLA, you had on paper four teams clearly uh, capable of winning the national championship last year. You probably said that about seven of the eight teams going into the NCAA quarterfinal. We can leave into mystery which one's number one. Um, but sorry, Virginia fans, it's you. Um, like this year, I, you disagree about last year. We don't have to do that again. Okay. We, I think we've done it before. Um, I mean, this year it's just like it's nine or ten. If like again, ten teams who you you mentioned it with USC, who I'm probably leaving out of my side of the equation, and yet they have three players over eleven UTR, and you're like, wait a second, I can't write that team off yet. Um, it's that good, and they're just not. Even if they might have a little bit better depth, they the depth to experience ratio is just a little bit lower than I would need it to be here this season. So. I could see this team taking some lumps, and I just think come quarterfinals, you're going to have eight teams, you know, including Texas, eight teams left that are all capable of winning the national championship. And at that moment, I think that's when the experience bites them for the first time in a few years, just because of how good those other teams are. And that's why I say quarterfinals. But guess what? There's only one match difference between the quarterfinal and the semifinal, and it's probably going to be a 4-3 decision. And as we've learned over the year, 4-3s can go either way. Look, this team's going to get tested in Big 12s. I think we said it on the Oklahoma pod. I expect them to split with Oklahoma, one of the two Big 12 championships. I think they're more likely to win a conference tournament than they would be the regular season just because of that experience factor again. Fair assessment? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the thing we factored in on the Oklahoma pod is that that regular season matches at Texas. Yes. Right. So that probably does favor Texas to win the regular season. They get both Oklahomas at home this year. Uh-huh. Right. So I could, you know, I could see a world where it's actually the opposite, right? Where Texas wins the regular sure. season, maybe loses to Oklahoma in the conference. Those are the two uh two favorites for both of those titles heading into the season. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. National indoors, I mean, again, you expect this team, I assume, to get through their kickoff weekend. How do you see them faring in Seattle? It could be a disaster in Seattle. <laughs> it could it could go very poorly. It could go be one and two, right? I do not have much faith in some of the health of these players in February. That's a different story in May. Uh, I would go one and two. Yeah, Um yeah, I mean, someone's got to go one and two. I feel like everyone would be like, ah, eh, two and one, ah, eh, two and one. Eh, you know, again, this might be the surprise, highly seated team that takes an early loss to like uh, a lower seated but more experienced group that have played in the national indoors before. And again, this team, we talked about last year's national indoors being a disaster. They went two and one at the national indoors. Like it wasn't ultimately that bad of an experience, but boy, were they just a significantly more cohesive unit come May than they were at that national indoors from an in-person eye test perspective. I mean, again, they're an unequivocal top eight and the best version of this team, to your point, Jay, they win a national championship in 2023. That's the upside for this Texas Longhorns group. They play Oklahoma three times. What's the overall record? If it happens for some reason again this year. And last year, I should point out they played four and it was two and two. Yeah, I think it's two and one. Ooh, <laughs> uh, fighting words, does, Coach Cohen. Well, I'm just going to say, does that does Texas take? Um, I think if they play three times, I think Oklahoma goes two and one. Yeah. I think um, Oklahoma will lose the match in Austin at the regular season. The other two, I would say, particularly if, they, if that other one is that indoors. I think I really like Oklahoma to go two and one. I think that's probably the correct ratio as well because I could see it as like in Oklahoma as like the third match maybe for some reason or some maybe the second match at the national the indoors match, yeah. and um, yeah that quarterfinal match in Oklahoma clips them again that would be fascinating to watch unfold. With that said, I mean there's your look at number two Texas, young, experienced, talented. Just about every adjective you want to throw out, this Texas team could qualify for and. You know, again, this is the defending national champions. They are trying to join Stanford as the only program in NCAA Division I women's history to win three consecutive NCAA titles. We don't quite see them doing that this season, but as always, you can find us on Twitter. Tell us why you agree, disagree, of course. With that in mind, Jay, one school to go. I think everyone knows who we're going to be talking about on our next show. Before we get there, any final thoughts before we wrap today? No, I mean, you know, this, it does feel a little similar to what happened last season with Texas, just that like disaster of a fall. You know, we haven't seen any of these players really compete much. So we'll have to see how they look in January and February. I think we'll start to learn a lot very, very shortly. I'm already afraid that I said quarterfinals. I'm like, but they've been so good the last two years. I mean, again, they all are. No, the 2021 Texas team at the indoors, you're like, it should be North Carolina versus Texas for the final. Now, obviously, that didn't happen. It was Pepperdine versus Texas. But you're like, okay, Texas should be in the final. They're that good. To see last year's NCAA tournament, I still like how well this team clicked. 
It's why you have to have a pause when you say quarterfinals or semifinals or anything but champion because they clicked. They, it, that final match, Jay, was so impressive. I don't really think so. Okay, good. One last <laughs> I, disagreement before I we mean, wrap. I mean, you made the comparison of like the draw of Oklahoma, I mean, of Texas in 2021 having, you know, the lighter draw in route to the final and then facing a Pepperdine team who had had to go through the gauntlet in 4-3 match against uh, UCLA in 4-3 match against North Carolina. That that felt very similar to me in 2022 where you had an Oklahoma team who had to go 4-3 against Texas A&M, 4-3 against Duke, and you had a Texas team who was going 4-2 against uh, Virginia and then 4-2 against yeah. North Carolina. The reason why I feel less yeah, confident... Yeah, but indoors in both of those matches, which was made that, which to me was the surprising part because UNC... There were surprising champions. parts about both of those. I mean, the fact sure, that Texas sure. won the national championship and won three games combined at number one and number two singles against Virginia, like, is, is quite the testament. But that team, like, they didn't all click. Like, they had four positions that were outstanding. Doubles, one, three, and okay. five. Okay. And they did that in each and every match. But the doubles! How did they win those doubles points, Jay, after what we saw all season? Right. Yeah, totally. That absolutely clicked, right? They clicked as a team in doubles. They made changes towards the end of the year that helped them significantly. It wasn't a full... I don't know. It just wasn't as comprehensive okay. as I think it was in 2021, where, like, you were getting points from anyone anywhere yeah okay but i also think so that gets me back to this year that's why the delta between them like again that's why i mentioned that 2021 team was superiorly talented to other rosters yeah last year everything clicked it's like the perfect confluence of events each of these past two seasons and this year that all has to happen again and i think the rest of the fields are better like it's like the talent delta is not as big and you have to have your your match calculus to four, which I just don't see as clearly for this group, and thus my reservations. I guess it's, we're full circle here. That's why they're quarterfinals, and yet they're too talented to, and too pedigreed to have any lower than two. Yeah, well, it's a respect thing, right? They're yeah, the two-time national the ring. champion. Both rings. Exactly, exactly. So I don't think we disagree on this at all, right? I, I see that. Yeah. I actually think they're a little bit more experienced than you're giving them credit for in that no returner on this roster has not won a national championship. You bring in a four-year starter from the University of Florida. You bring in Patrick Leva, who, uh, who has played the biggest moment that you can play in college tennis against this same school. So I think they have a lot of experience. I think they will find some of that know-how. I think they'll be playing their best, whether their best is a quarterfinal showing, a semifinal showing. We'll find out. It's going to be exciting to watch again. Number two, Texas semifinalist for John Parsons, quarterfinalist for myself. That said, one school left to go, folks. We will be back on Thursday to name our number one preseason team heading into the 2023 Division I women's college tennis season. Of course, for now, a shout out to Jay, who has joined me on each and every women's episode. Of course, if you missed any of them or any of our men's shows, just scroll down. In your Great Shot podcast feed, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an ending job he has done day in, day out, making all of this content possible. With that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all on Thursday. Thanks, everyone. 